Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Framed ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Previously on Framed. Robert Render, R-E-N-D-E-R. Okay, did you have a son by the name of Robert Render? Yes. Why did you take off and run away? At this point, I just got my job taken from me by my parents. I didn't want to quit. You know, you can ask my parents. Did Robert Render Sr. give you a call on December 28, 2002, about eight days after this disappearance, and tell you his son ran away? I would say yes. Now, you were kind of a friend of Robert Render Sr., correct? Due to this case, you know, that's uh, when that's what I was really introduced to him. So, are you saying that prior to December 20th, you did not have contact or know Robert Render Sr.? On Sunday, December 22, 2002, two Johnsburg police officers arrived at Bell's Foods to investigate Brian's disappearance. Sergeant William Grunez was the lead detective and Corporal Keith Von Allman was accompanying him. Within the first few weeks of their investigation, they had made a lot of progress on the case. They had already found the location where they believed Brian was killed, and that told them a lot. The blood evidence was found in an employee-only area of the store that was frequented by the stock boys. So right from the beginning, their list of likely suspects was down to a handful of people. After interviewing several witnesses, they learned two of the stock boys on duty at the time Brian disappeared had potential motives. Having two viable suspects in a homicide investigation can sometimes make it difficult for the state to obtain a conviction, because whomever they decide to pursue charges against can point to the other suspect to create reasonable doubt for themselves. With this type of case, it's best to be patient. Waiting for the forensic testing to be completed was a must. Unfortunately, before all the results came back from the crime lab, another tragedy struck the Johnsburg community. On the morning of January 24, 2003, the lead detective, William Grunez, was killed in a car accident on a backcountry road. He was on his way to a meeting to discuss the Carrick case. Just one month into the investigation, and the person with arguably the most knowledge on Brian's case was gone. Officer Grunez's wife told the media about her husband's devotion to his job, and to this case in particular. A Johnsburg teenager, Brian Carrick, had disappeared the month before, and he had taken a keen interest in the situation. It bothered him. He knew the Carricks. I knew the Carricks. Being a father, all he wanted to do was find Brian for them. Whether he was at home or at work, he was working on that case. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, he was on his laptop, not spending time with us. Two small-town detectives were assigned to the Carrick case initially. Both detectives had personal connections to the people involved. One knew the Carrick family and was working tirelessly to find out what happened to Brian. The other, he knew the Render family. Keith von Allman was asked the following questions at trial. Now, you were kind of a friend of Robert Render Sr., correct? Due to this case, you know, that's uh, when that's what I was really introduced to him. So, are you saying that prior to December 20th, you did not have contact or know Robert Render Sr.? I don't know, maybe at the gas station, you know? Uh, he was a patron there, and obviously if I was on duty, maybe he would start up a conversation. When Mario's attorney asked if he knew Render Sr. prior to Brian's disappearance, Von Allman gave the strangest answer. He recalled these specific details about meeting him at a gas station, 
yet he also spoke as though this was a hypothetical scenario that may have never happened. You can tell based on his answers, this topic made von Allman uncomfortable, and with good reason. According to Mario's attorneys, von Allman did not disclose this relationship existed prior to giving his testimony. When Render Sr. took the stand, Mario's attorney asked him this. You're a close personal friend of Chief von Allman of the Johnsburg Police Department, correct? I know him well. You're a close friend of his, right? I wouldn't say close, we're friends. Render Sr. confirmed he was friends with von Allman when he testified, which means there was definitely a conflict of interest here. The proper way for a detective to handle a conflict of interest in a homicide case like this one is to disclose the relationship exists and step away from the investigation. At the very least, you have to let other detectives handle the interviews of the people you have a personal connection to. That wasn't done here. Von Allman saw to it to personally interview Rob Render Jr. and Render Sr. on multiple occasions. Mario's attorney asked Render Sr. about some of those interviews at Mario's trial. Did you ever talk to the police about what you just testified to ever? I'm sure I have. Do you remember ever sitting down with a police officer and preparing a report saying what you just said? I talked to the police several times. Okay. Who did you talk to? I talked to several people. Name one. Well, we know Keith von Allman was there. Are you telling the ladies and gentlemen of the jury that you had a conversation with Keith von Allman, who is now the chief, about this case? Objection. Relevance. Sustained. Did you talk to Keith von Allman about the case? Objection. Relevance. Sustained. Judge, I want to be heard if I could. Approach. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. They can correct me if I'm wrong. For the record, there's, in a 10-year investigation, there's not one police report that I have been able to come across that in any way outlined a conversation with him. He's saying he spoke to the police on multiple occasions. It could be a discovery violation, because if he talked to people and made statements like this, which is obviously significant about one of the key persons whose blood is at the scene, then I didn't get the report. So it either means that he is not being truthful that he talked to them, or that the police have not tendered a report I'm entitled to get. So I want to ask him how many times, where it took place, when it took place. And if you don't want me to ask what was said, I won't. But I at least need to lay a foundation for when, where, and who he is claiming he talked to, because the impression the jury has is that he talked to the police back then. And, Judge, that's just not true, because there's no report. Mr. T. Lander, you can ask the question whether or not he knows. Do you have a response, Mr. Keneally? My response is Rob Render Sr. was turned over. The statement was turned over. The evidence was turned over. I tendered this witness because we disclosed Mr. Render as a witness. Now he is asking Render whether or not the police took a report. There's no way that Mr. Render would know whether or not the police made a report. I'm stating that as a representative of the state's attorney's office that everything we have in this case, we have turned over. If Mr. T. Lander wants to have a hearing on a discovery violation, that's fine, but we don't need to do it in front of the jury. State's objection is sustained. Okay, then Pat... Then, for the record, I want to make a motion for a mistrial. Motion is denied. Without saying it explicitly, the state conceded that, to their knowledge, 
the Johnsburg Police Department never prepared a report documenting their interviews of Render Sr. The state argued there was no discovery violation on their part because they had no police report to disclose. If there were no reports prepared regarding Render Sr., how did the state know to call him as a witness? If his information was important enough to present to the jury, why wasn't it ever documented in a police report? As far as we can tell, the only detective to conduct an interview with Render Sr. was his friend Keith Von Allman. It's hard to think of an innocent explanation for why Von Allman avoided preparing these reports. It seems he was doing his best to keep the investigation focused elsewhere and away from his friend's family. Von Allman and Render Sr. tried to downplay their friendship at the trial, but information in the case file leads us to believe they were more than just acquaintances. In 2008, when the McHenry County State's attorneys charged Rob with concealing Brian's murder, they interviewed him while he was in custody. The interview was recorded, and Von Allman was present for the questioning. Here are just some of the things Von Allman told Rob during that interview. Here's what I think, Rob. I think you and I, I, I mean, I don't know. Again, I could be wrong, but I think you and I have the most connection of anybody in this case, you, you know, as police and witness. Obviously, we've been doing this a long time, right? I mean, Rob, I've always been fair with you. I've always felt that you were a partial victim in this, too. And now we're with you, so I want to help you. I've always wanted to help you, Rob. I mean, again, I don't think I've ever lied to you or your family. Even in the early days, I was completely frank with your family. I was at your house how many times? And, and it's not because I believe that you're a murderer. I don't. I didn't come to you so many times because I wanted to get you. I came to you so many times because I wanted to help you. I really did. You know, and that's why I'm here again today. I still want to help you. Michael Combs was the state's attorney present for the interview. Here's what he told Rob about Keith Von Allman. You know, everything Keith is saying has been true. Keith has been coming into our office and saying, Hey, you know, wait a minute now. Why should Rob Render have to go down for this? Why are you going after him? He's not the bad guy. Combs' statement makes it pretty clear that Von Allman was in Rob's corner, defending him, fighting for him, making sure the charges against him were dropped. Rob, I want to give you a new beginning. That's what I want. That's what I've always wanted for you. When Detective Grunas died in that car crash, Von Allman became the lead detective on the case. The responsibility for solving this murder shifted from someone who was passionate about finding out what happened to Brian Carrick to someone who professed to be doing everything he could to help Rob Render. Why did this case go unsolved for so many years? Why weren't charges filed against Rob as soon as the forensic results were in? An answer is starting to come into focus. When Rob was interviewed by the McHenry County State's attorneys, Von Allman was captured on camera stating that he had interviewed Rob countless times. I mean, how many times have we talked? A lot. Right. A lot. Just recently, the frame team has obtained what the Johnsburg Police Department claims is every police report they have on the Carrot case. We've gone through all of the reports that were provided to us. How many of those reports documented Von Allman's interviews of Rob Render? Only one page of one report. There was nothing in the report that reflected poorly on Rob, but Von Allman did make sure to jot down that Rob told him, Mario is bad. He's not a good kid. Even though Von Allman doesn't appear to have documented all of his interviews with Rob, it's clear from the recorded interview with the state's attorneys in 2008 that Von Allman was intimately familiar with what Rob knew. During that interview, 
Von Allman asked Rob a lot of questions about that night. Here's an example. But you know what the physical evidence is, right? Just like you see on TV? Uh-huh. And you know where the physical evidence is leading us, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Why was there so much of your blood there? I, I don't know. Did you hurt Brian? No. And he hurt you back? No. That caused you to bleed? Nope. No, sir. I And I never touched Brian, and Brian's never, ever touched me, ever. I have never, ever been in a physical battle with him, ever. Because you see where I'm coming from. Believe me, I am so confused that there's that much of my blood there. Rob, there's only a couple of answers that could possibly be at this point. An outsider looking at this interview might conclude that Von Allman wasn't biased, that he wasn't letting his personal ties cloud his judgment. But one thing to keep in mind, if Von Allman didn't ask those hard questions, someone else in the room would have. As long as he was the one driving the interview, he could steer the conversation away from problem areas and focus on the things his fellow investigators already knew about Rob. When the other detectives pressed Rob into a bad spot, Von Allman showed his true colors. If Rob had a misstep and said something incriminating, Von Allman would step in and help him out of trouble. Here's an example. The detectives knew that Rob mopped up the cooler on Saturday morning, which was the morning after Brian was killed. The other detective asked Rob a question about the cleanup. And during the cleanup, you say you never had to go out to the dumpster area behind the building or, or where the trash is. No, uh, I don't know. It depends on what was in there at the time. Um, if there was garbage in there, then if there's boxes in there that had to be crushed, then I would take them to the compactor, you know? I don't, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what I cleaned up that night or that day. A few key takeaways. Rob seems to have admitted to taking boxes from the produce cooler to the box compactor during the cleanup. And if you remember from when we covered the blood evidence, there were boxes found in the trash compactor with Brian's blood on them. That's the first incriminating admission Rob made. The second one was right at the end. Rob said, I can't remember what I cleaned up that night or that day. If they suspected that Rob cleaned up the cooler on the night Brian was killed, this was the time to lean on him and apply some pressure. The other detective asked Rob the question that elicited this incriminating statement. Von Allman interjects before the other detective could follow up. Von Allman asked Rob this question. The next morning when you cleaned up, when, when you cleaned up the cooler, did anyone help you clean the cooler? Was, was a Hispanic guy there? Rather than getting to the bottom of how those boxes with Brian's blood on them got into the compactor, or if Rob cleaned up the cooler on Friday night, Von Allman directs the focus right back to the cleanup Saturday morning. He shut down that line of questioning before it had a chance to get started. Here's another example of Von Allman helping Rob out. In a previous interview, Rob told the FBI that on the night of December 20, 2002, Pete DiPiero ran into him with a mop bucket from the meat department and some of the bloody water from the bucket splashed onto his pants. These days, with a family, two podcasts, and a day job, it's so easy just to go through a drive through to get food, but that's not really the best choice, is it? So when I need healthy fuel, fast, I know exactly where to turn now. Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. All you have to do is add water or your favorite milk to your cup, then just blend or heat. And Daily Harvest's new savory harvest bowls are an amazing healthy dinner that's faster than takeout. I recently had their lentil and mesquite chili soup. Let me tell you, I think it might be their best one. It's perfect for lunch. 
with protein and fiber. It fills you up and satisfies your taste buds. I just added some water, a little bit of salt, then I stirred. And Daily Harvest Cups are portable, so you can fuel up on the go. Go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code FRAMED to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code FRAMED for three free Daily Harvest Cups at daily-harvest.com. daily-harvest.com. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. When Rob testified before the grand jury in 2007, he said he may have spilled fruit juice on his pants that night. Is it possible you had something red on your jeans that night? Yeah, it's possible. So Rob had spun a few stories in an attempt to explain why he had blood on his pants on the night Brian was murdered. Knowing that those facts were well documented and that this topic couldn't be avoided, Von Allman asked Rob this. Did you have blood on your pants on Friday night? I don't know. I know they found blood on my pants. Uh-huh. Rob was asked if he had blood on his pants the night Brian was murdered, and his response was, I don't know. I know they found blood on my pants. There are so many obvious follow-up questions that should have been asked here that weren't, such as, who found blood on your pants? Or, how did that blood get there? Von Allman just moves on with the interview as if he already knew what the answers to those questions would have been. It's important to keep in mind the context in which Rob said this. He was in a room with attorneys and detectives who had just arrested him and charged him with concealing a homicide. The only reason he would say something like that is if number one, it were true, and number two, because he believed the people who were interviewing him were in possession of those bloody pants and he had to explain it away. But here's the thing. There were no pants with blood on them listed in the evidence log. If the police did find blood on Rob's pants, they were never sent to the crime lab and never retained in evidence. One thing that's truly shocking about this case is this isn't even the only instance where bloody clothing has vanished from the Johnsburg Police Department. A few months after Brian was killed, another stock boy named Tony was working in the restrooms at Val's Foods. There was a leaky pipe that needed fixing. I was working in the restrooms at Val's. I was looking for the source of a water leak. I lifted up one of the ceiling tiles in the women's restroom, and I found a pair of men's underwear hidden above the ceiling tile. The underwear was covered in blood. After I found the bloody underwear, I walked into the store looking for someone to tell. I ran into my father, who happened to be shopping at Val's. He worked for the McHenry County Sheriff's Department, so I figured he'd know what to do. We told the manager, Lorenzo, about what we had found and showed him the underwear. We all thought it might be related to Brian's disappearance, so we put them in a brown paper bag and my dad and I took the bag to the Johnsburg police station. We gave them the underwear and explained where we found it and why we thought it was important. They took the bag from us and 
that was it. They never followed up with me or asked any more questions about it. The underwear was checked into an evidence locker at the Johnsburg Police Station, and a police report was prepared documenting that they received it. It was never sent to the crime lab, nor was it retained by the Johnsburg Police. Instead, it was removed from the evidence locker and thrown away. Here's Keith Von Allman's explanation for why the underwear was thrown away. The department didn't hold on to the underwear because it wasn't blood-soaked as Zellner claims. It was soiled with what looked like feces. It was covered in dust when the department received it. If there was any hint of those underwear had some relevance to this case, it would have been kept. Von Allman claimed that there wasn't even a hint the underwear was related to Brian's case. If being told directly by a witness that this bloody pair of men's underwear that was hidden in Bale's Foods may be related to Brian Carrick's murder doesn't constitute a hint that they were related, honestly, what would? Also, it wasn't Mario's appellate attorney who claimed the underwear was soaked in blood. It was the three witnesses who saw the underwear before it was handed over to the police. The police officer who received the underwear described the underwear as follows. The underwear appeared to be soiled with a brownish-red color. So why would a desk officer mistake blood for feces? Here's our best guess. After blood leaves the body, it doesn't remain bright red forever. It breaks down over time. It turns reddish-brown to brownish-red to dark-brown. If a desk officer saw a pair of underwear with brownish-reddish stains on it, it's easy to understand why he believed the blood was feces. What's harder to understand is why Von Allman didn't recognize that the underwear had blood on them. The crime scene unit who processed the produce cooler noted the color of the blood stains that they found in Vales. They described most of the stains as having a reddish-brown color to them. Those reddish-brown stains were what Von Allman and Grunez recognized as blood when they first walked through the cooler. Von Allman must have known, based on his experience from the cooler, that the brownish-red color of the underwear indicated that they were covered in blood. The underwear should have been sent to the crime lab, even if they believed there was only the smallest chance they were related to Brian's murder. Von Allman didn't do that. Instead, the underwear was removed from the evidence locker and thrown away. In addition to the discovery of the bloody underwear, Tony provided some important information to the Johnsburg police, which was never documented in a report. Tony was working at Bell's when Grunas and Von Allman were investigating Brian's disappearance. Tony told the detectives that Rob told him there was a fight in the cooler on Friday night. That's what led them to the cooler in the first place. Without Tony, they may have never found the crime scene. This is a witness you would have expected the detectives to have circled back to after they found the blood in the cooler. Mario's attorneys alleged that Von Allman did speak with Tony, but he never documented what Tony told him. It wasn't until after Mario was convicted and his private investigators were working on an appeal that Tony's story was documented in an affidavit. Here's what Tony claimed he told the police that day. I told the police about comments Rob Render had made to me approximately one week before Brian disappeared. I told the police that while we were stocking a display shelf near the front of the store, Rob told me he was going to jump Brian and he had a weapon. I also told the police that Rob told me during the same conversation that he was pissed off at Brian about owing him money. Rob Render had a vendetta against Brian. If a police report was prepared that documented these statements from Tony, we haven't seen it. Before we move on, there is one more piece of missing evidence that we need to cover. The missing security camera footage. Bales Foods did not have security cameras at the time Brian was killed, 
but smack dab in between the Carrick home and Val's Foods was a bank that did. The McHenry Savings Bank. When Brian left home that night at 6.45 p.m. and walked into Val's Foods, he walked right past the bank, well within the view of their exterior security cameras. On December 30, 2002, a McHenry County detective who was assisting the Johnsburg Police Department with the investigation walked into the McHenry Savings Bank and inquired about the security camera footage that captured the activities of Val's parking lot. The branch manager told the McHenry detective that the tapes had already been taken by police. The problem is there's no report documenting those tapes were ever obtained by the authorities and they were never listed in the evidence log. So who took possession of those tapes from the branch manager? Our guess is the same guy who had a habit of neglecting to prepare key police reports. Keith Von Allman Thankfully, Keith Von Allman wasn't the only detective working this assignment. When Brian was first reported missing, his case garnered a lot of attention from the media and other law enforcement agencies. The McHenry County Major Investigations Unit became involved with this high-profile case early on, and as we've mentioned before, the FBI provided their assistance at various stages of the investigation. For the most part, those agencies, along with a few Johnsburg detectives, did a stellar job. The reason the case file is so robust is because they chased down dozens of leads and interviewed hundreds of people. When other investigators got their chance to interview Rob, they did something Von Allman didn't do. They prepared reports documenting what was said. We've cited most of their reports in earlier episodes, but we're going to revisit a few of them now to give you a sense of what the other investigators concluded based on their interviews with Rob. We'll start by reading through an FBI report dated September 4th, 2003. Here's what was written in that report. FBI Chicago opened a concurrent investigation to assist in the resolution of this matter. In an effort to further this investigation, this examiner's assistance was requested to conduct a polygraph examination of Rob Render. It is noted that Render had been previously polygraphed by a private examiner at the request of Johnsburg Police, but the examiner was not able to formulate an opinion reportedly due to Render's purposeful non-cooperation. During the pretest interview, the examinee was given an opportunity to discuss his activities at Vale's grocery store on the day of Carrick's disappearance. Render was very non-specific in the sum and substance in his recounting of his activities during the time in question. Render stated that he did recall a telephone conversation he had with Carrick at approximately 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. Render stated that he did recall Carrick coming to Vale's shortly after the telephone conversation but stated that he had no recollection of what he and Carrick talked about, nor could he remember where in Bell's grocery store the conversation actually took place. The following relevant questions were reviewed with Render. Question 1. Do you know for sure who harmed Brian that day? Question 2. Did you participate in Brian's disappearance in any way? Following the question introduction, Render proclaimed that he did not want to take a polygraph examination. Render could offer no reason as to why he now completely refused to undergo a polygraph examination other than because he didn't want to take it and it is his right to refuse it. Throughout the interview, Render casually sat with an emotionless, glassy stare. When directly confronted with inconsistencies between his statements and those of other employees, Render replied, I can't tell you anything about that. And, there's nothing I can tell you about that. When advised that forensic analysis had led to the identification of his own blood at the crime scene, Render sat motionless, seemingly unaffected. 
Render could offer no explanation as to why his blood was present at that location. Render stated that he did not remember bleeding that night or any other time at Bell's grocery store. If you remember how powerful it felt to snap a hot pink razor flip phone shut after getting off the phone, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins Multi-Active Cream to your daily routine. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and C. holly bioextract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While multi-active creams can't bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can distress your skin. Clarins Multi-Active Cream is available online now. Go to clarins.com slash truecrime and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off. A free welcome gift plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. Clarins.com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. After the disappearance of Carrick, and the discovery of the apparent brutal crime scene inside Val's grocery store, he never felt in danger at Val's or even slightly afraid to go to work there. Render stated that at the time of Carrick's disappearance, he owed Carrick approximately $60 for marijuana that Carrick had fronted him. The interview terminated when Rob Render stated that he no longer wanted to talk to the examiner and he wanted to leave. Detective Von Allman transported Render home. We'll stop there. Having only covered about a quarter of the report, I think that's enough to give you a sense of what the FBI agent concluded, and that was that all signs pointed to Rob Render's guilt. When Von Allman and company dropped Rob off at home, Rob's mother asked what their opinion of her son was after the completion of the interview. The FBI agent stated that based on her son's evasiveness, conflicting statements, forensic analysis, and other information gleaned throughout their investigation, that he was unable to eliminate her son from continued suspicion as to his involvement in the disappearance of Brian Carrick. Another report we've already touched on was written by Officer Todd Collander of the Johnsburg Police Department. He interviewed Rob in December of 2003 when Rob was in custody for a separate incident. He wrote the following in his report. I told Robert that after speaking with him, I thought that he was involved, and at this point I believed he had done it, and that I would have put him in front of a grand jury a long time ago if this was the way he had acted in the previous interviews with officers, since he offered no explanations for the information and evidence that put him at the crime scene around the time Brian was last seen in the store. Robert related that he knows this does not look good for him. I then told Robert that he needed to tell me everything he knew about this case. I told him this was to make sure he was not put in front of a grand jury, since there were too many things leading me to believe that you are lying. Robert related, I know they told me about the grand jury before. I asked, who told you that? He said he thought it was Keith. I told Robert that I felt he wanted to get this off his chest, and that if he did, this nightmare would go away for him. Robert said, yes, I know. I told Robert that because he was not saying anything, this nightmare was going to continue. Robert said, talk about nightmares. I know what you mean. I told Robert about a lady who had committed a murder, and years later, she was caught for it. And I felt that she'd dragged that with herself all those years, and that she probably had nightmares about being involved. Robert related, oh, I bet. Every time she'd seen a cop car, she would think, 
I wonder if they know what I did. I said, right, Robert, that is what the nightmare is, not knowing when the cops are coming to your house to get you for what you've done. Robert related, yeah, I know, that would be something to have to carry with you for a long time. I really got the sense from reading this police report that Rob was on the brink of confessing. Although obtaining a confession would have been nice, there's a strong case to be made that they didn't need one. The case against Rob, circumstantially, forensically, was as strong as they come. It seems they had everything they needed to arrest Rob and charge him with Brian's murder, but that didn't happen. Ken Rydberg was the chief of police in Johnsburg at the time Brian was killed, so surely he played a part in that decision not to press charges. On December 14, 2003, shortly after those two interviews Rob had with the FBI and Officer Collender, an article ran in the Northwest Herald. Chief Ryberg told the local media this. Well, despite the fact that we conducted more than 150 interviews and that we received early help from the McHenry County Major Investigations Assistance Team, a clear break in the case still eludes us. I believe that the early detective work on this case was solid. As soon as we found the blood, we called in the state police crime scene investigator. In addition to drops of blood inside the cooler, there was blood on the wall outside the cooler, on several produce boxes still inside the store, and more blood was found the next day on boxes that had been thrown into a compactor. Through DNA testing, it was determined that the samples matched Brian's blood. I still feel that sooner or later, and it appears to be later, that something will break in the case. We still treat every lead as legitimate or crucial to the case. We still want people to call a department with any information they have. So far, there has been insufficient evidence to file charges. When Chief Rydberg spoke to the media, he revealed the precise locations where Brian's blood was found. Revealing that information did not help advance the case at all. In fact, it was detrimental to it because it tainted any future statements the department received from suspects or witnesses. Typically, Police are really guarded about what information they release to the public in a homicide case. They don't want to give away anything specific about the crime scene so that when information does come in, they can check it against the known facts to verify the information is authentic. In our opinion, releasing details about the blood evidence was a reckless mistake, but it revealed something else about Rydberg. Chief Rydberg spoke about the forensic evidence as though they found Brian's blood at the scene, and that was it. So was he misinformed about the evidence in this case, or is something else going on? To get to the bottom of what Chief Ryberg knew, and when he knew it, we're going to turn our attention to reports that were prepared by the Illinois State Crime Lab. A letter from the Crime Lab, which was addressed to Chief Ryberg, dated December 31, 2002, stated the following. Examination of Exhibit 13 revealed at least one latent print suitable for comparison which was lifted, marked as Exhibit 13B, and photographed. Comparison revealed that the suitable print in the red-brown substance was made by Robert Render. Eleven days into the investigation, Chief Ryberg knew that fingerprint from the bloody cooler door handle belonged to Rob Render. There was another letter dated February 5, 2003, which was also addressed to Chief Ryberg. It stated that a DNA profile from Exhibit 10A1, which was said to have come from the blood spatter taken from the hallway wall, did not match the DNA profile found on Exhibit 13C, which was said to come from the cooler door handle. At that point, they didn't know whose blood was on the wall or whose blood was on the cooler door handle. They just knew that the blood was from two different people. Over the next few months, additional DNA tests were performed. Blood from the crime scene was compared to DNA swabs taken from Mario, 
Rob, and Shane. On May 21, 2003, Chief Ryberg received the DNA results they had been waiting for. The four-page letter reached the following conclusion. The DNA profile, identified in Exhibits 3B1, 5A, 6A, 7A1, 7B1, 10A1, 12D1, 14A, and 31A, is consistent with having originated from the same person, Brian Carrick. The DNA profile, identified in Exhibits 1B1, 3C1, 11A, 30B1, and 13C, all match the DNA profile developed from Rob Render. None of the exhibits examined match the DNA profiles of Mario Cachero or Shane Lamb. When Rydberg gave that interview in December of 2003, he had known for several months that both Brian's and Rob's DNA was found at the crime scene. So why did Rydberg mention that they had found Brian's blood and not Rob's? And again, none of that information should have been released to the public if Rydberg was doing his job right, but he chose to release everything they knew about the forensic evidence, but for the information that implicated Rob Render. Here's one possible scenario that would explain his actions. Chief Ryberg was also protecting Rob, but he was feeling the pressure from the Carricks and the media to explain where the case stood. So they responded by telling them that they just didn't have any leads that panned out and they hit a dead end with the blood evidence. Chief Ryberg also told the media this during that same interview. I wonder what might have been found had the scene not been cleaned up before the police were called. Could there have been hair, fibers? We just don't know. Actually, we do know, and so did Chief Rydberg. When we covered the forensic evidence in a previous episode, we mentioned that there was a clump of brown hairs found on the floor of the cooler. That hair was collected, packaged, and marked as Exhibit 4 by the crime scene investigator. The hairs were never examined by the crime lab, and here's why. Before the DNA results were in, Chief Rydberg called the crime lab on multiple occasions to inquire about the hairs that were found at the crime scene. The reason we know Rydberg made those calls is because the Illinois State Crime Lab keeps a detailed log documenting all of their communications. That log shows that on March 13th of 2003, Rydberg called the crime lab and requested that the hairs taken from the cooler be compared to hairs taken from Brian's bedroom. Rydberg wanted to know if those hairs belonged to Brian. The crime lab told Ryberg that their policies prevented them from comparing two hair samples of uncertain origin. They could only compare the hairs taken from the crime scene to hairs that were physically plucked from someone's head, what they called a known standard. Since they never found Brian's body, they wouldn't be able to confirm that the hair in the cooler belonged to Brian. The lab tech did inform Chief Ryberg that what they could do was compare the hairs found at the crime scene to a known standard taken from their suspects in the case. Chief Ryberg declined to go forward with that analysis. Why didn't they go forward with that testing? Mario's hair was black, Shane's head was shaved, and Rob had brown hair. They didn't compare the clump of brown hair from the cooler to their suspects because there was only one person it could have possibly matched. Here's another interesting note from the crime lab. Ryberg called to inquire about the DNA results. Specifically, he wanted to know if somebody's blood was found in the cooler other than Brian's or Rob's. The crime lab's answer was that there wasn't. Their samples only matched Brian Carrick and Rob Render. Rydberg told them he was making the inquiry because Rob Render was explaining away why his blood was found at the crime scene. We know this was a lie because Rob told the FBI and a grand jury that he never remembered bleeding in Val's at any time. In 2008, a detective told Rob this. 
Unfortunately for you, the evidence points at you. Almost all of it points at you, Rob. And you know, it saddens me to think that here you are. But I just can't for the life of me. I can't figure out why you just won't tell us what happened. You know, this evidence is there and we can't explain it away. Only you can explain away these things. And you haven't explained anything. It's confounding. When you look at the evidence and the facts, it, it just doesn't jibe with your story, your version. It's incredible. It's not believable. Imagine if Chief Ryberg had revealed all of the facts that they knew at the time of that 2003 interview. The article would have read like this. The last call Brian Carrick made on his cell phone was to another stock boy named Rob Render. They argued over a drug debt that Rob owed to Brian. Rob refused to pay him. Brian immediately went to Val's Foods after the phone call ended. When Brian arrived to the store, he asked several co-workers if they knew where Rob was. Rob's bloody fingerprint and blood were found in and around the produce cooler, right next to Brian's blood. Rob quit his job at Val's two days after Brian vanished, and then he ran away from home. We caught him running through some woods days later. We confiscated his shoes and sent them to the crime lab. Rob's shoes had both his own blood and Brian's blood on them. I still feel that sooner or later, and it appears to be later, that something will break in the case. So far, there has been insufficient evidence to file charges. Those were the facts that Ken Ryberg and Keith Von Allman possessed before one year had passed. I made a promise to Terry Carrick that this would be on our minds all the time, and to this day, it still is. We're just waiting for that one link to fall in place. From our vantage point, this goes beyond incompetence. There seems to have been a concerted effort by certain members of the Johnsburg Police Department to protect Rob from prosecution. On December 20th of 2003, Brian's family and friends gathered to say goodbye and to honor his life. They had no body to bury, no story to explain why he was gone. It's difficult for most of us to fully grasp the death of emotion members of the Carrick family experienced that day. The sorrow, the frustration, and maybe even a little anger were all exacerbated by the fact that from their vantage point, Brian's case was going cold and answers were nowhere to be found. Bill and Terry Carrick spoke to the media in anticipation of Brian's memorial service. It's supposed to be a celebration of his life. I don't know if that's going to be easy. There's just so many unanswered questions. Believe it or not, it does get better. <laughs> when? When does it get better? I think probably everyone has to make their own, uh, has to deal with it in their own way. Our faith has helped us, I'm, I'm sure for my wife as well as myself. I finally came to the point where I was just happy that we had him for 17 years. Hopefully he's in a better place. In God's time, we'll have the answers, even if we don't get them here. Just imagine for a moment how different things could have been if the Johnsburg Police Department had walked into that memorial service and told Brian's family that this nightmare was over. They tell them an arrest has been made, murder charges are being filed, and the person responsible for taking Brian away from them is going to be brought to justice. Tears of despair turn into tears of joy. Confusion gives way to a sense of closure. Sadly, that's not what happened. 
Instead, Bill and Terry Carrick went to their graves never knowing the truth of what happened to their beloved son. Next time on Framed. Prior to my testimony against Mario, I met alone with Prosecutor Michael Combs. He made it clear that he wanted me to provide information establishing that Mario was involved in killing Brian. Prosecutor Combs was focused on Mario. Prosecutor Combs described to me his version of what happened leading up to the killing and his version of how and why the killings took place. I was forced to testify to what Prosecutor Combs told me to say. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Framed ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. <laughs> Judy Justice, only on Freebie.